As we turn to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21 is a section of scripture where the apostle John records his most extensive work on the topic of love. Out of all of the biblical writers, John writes more about the topic of love, and he is often referred to as the theologian of love. We'll divide up this passage in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21, in three different teachings. We'll begin with the first one this morning as we look to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Lord willing, we'll continue to study John's thesis on love over the next two Sundays, covering 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 through 16 next Sunday, and then 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 21 the following Sunday. Here's what we know is clear from his writing. John makes it clear that love is the mark of the believer. He argues that those who know God will reflect God's love. Demonstrating God's love is the fruit of every genuine believer since God's spirit dwells in them. As you can see, if you're a note taker this morning, the title of our sermon this morning is God's Love on Display. If you have a Bible this morning, I hope that you do. If you would open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, we'll be reading verses 7 through 12. And if you are able this morning to stand and honor the public reading of God's word, I invite you to stand to your feet. First John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, is the, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So reads God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Please be seated, church. In this section of his letter, John begins with a passionate exhortation to his readers to love one another. This is a phrase that he repeats three times. We see it in verse 7, in verse 11, and in verse 12. And this is the third and final time in this letter that John urges believers to love one another. John has already written about this command in chapter 2 in verses 7 through 11. And also in chapter 3 in verses 11 through 18. And we got to remember who John is. John was an eyewitness. John was with Jesus. He heard the teachings of Jesus from his very lips that we are to love one another. What John writes here is not a suggestion. It is not reserved for super saints. 
The command is for every genuine believer. The command, again, came from the lips of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 13, we read this command. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said this. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's the words of Jesus. Not by the fact that you have a Bible, not by the fact that you can memorize scripture, but the fact that his spirit is in you and is evident by your love one for another. That's how others will know that you're his disciples. So we know love matters. That love is what identifies the Christian. Now listen to what the Apostle Paul describes the importance of love in the love chapter that we often refer to it as in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Just one verse I'm going to reference. In verse 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is the evidence that the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. Love is the evidence that you have salvation in Christ Jesus. So as we consider this command this morning to love one another in triplicate this morning, we're going to study three points from our text. The first thing we will look at this morning is the origin and the ramifications of love. We'll see that in verses 7 and 8 the origin and ramifications of love. We'll also see God's love displayed in Christ as we look to verses 9 and 10. God's love displayed in Christ. And lastly, this morning, we'll look at God's love displayed in believers in verses 11 and 12. So let's begin with our first point this morning. Looking at verses 7 and 8, the origin and ramifications of love. Look again to your Bibles, 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Here again we see this command, to love one another. But just like all other imperatives in Scripture that rest upon indicatives, this imperative to love one another rests on the indicative that love is from God. John writes, love is from God. The origin of love lies beyond human effort and beyond human initiative. God is the source of love. So what is this love that John is speaking of? The Bible says that all people will be lovers of various things. For example, some will be lovers of self. Some will be lovers of money. Uh, I too personally speak of this word love and, and loving things in many ways. I say, I love pizza. Uh, I love basketball. Uh, I love the sound of crashing waves. And is this the type of love that John was referring to? I hope we could all say absolutely not. 
he was speaking of perfect love. He was speaking of a selfless love, a sacrificial love, the type of love that God himself displays. This is the love that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It is a love that is patient. It is a love that is kind. It is a love that does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This type of love never ends. This is the love that originates from God. Now, we have to understand this type of love does not originate in our sinful nature. The only way that a person can love like this is if God does a miracle in them. The miracle of regeneration. John writes, whoever loves, meaning whoever loves with God's love, has been born of God and knows God. It is only those who truly know God and have been born again by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit that can love like what's being commanded, to love one another with God's love. No one possesses this type of love apart from being in Christ. It is impossible to love like God unless God's Spirit dwells in you. Do we have that as a foundation? What is being commanded of believers is because they have been given the resource to do just this. They have been given the Spirit of God. This is what John is arguing. And this is why he continues in verse 8. If you look at verse 8 with me, it says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now you'll notice John doesn't sugarcoat his words much. He is very clear, very precise. Anyone who does not display the love of God does not know God, period. He doesn't put it up for debate. He speaks it plainly. He makes the equation simple. He says, no love equals no conversion. Puts it together. Very plainly, the absence of genuine love in the life of an individual proves that they do not know God. You know how often we wait to hear about the love of God and now we're like, wow. We're going to see the love of God. We're going to see it displayed in Christ Jesus. But the love that is commanded of us is not a God from us. It is a love that originates in God. And John makes it clear that the one who does not love is a stranger to God. No matter what they claim about God, no matter what theology they can articulate about him, if they do not love, they are not a child of God. And why is that? Well, we look to what John says. He says, because God is love. 
Now, there, there are many verses throughout the Bible that describe God's many attributes. Like, God is merciful. We see that in Psalm 116.5. That God is mighty. We see that in Job 36.5. But there are only a few passages in Scripture that speak of God's essence. John writes three of him, them himself. In the Gospel of John 4.24, he says that God is spirit. And in this letter of 1 John, in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, God is light. And then here in our text this morning, he says, God is love. Love is the essence of God's divine being. It is his nature. Just like he is spirit, and just like he is light, he is also love. We must not think that since God is love, that he will somehow just overlook sin because we know he is also holy and just and that he must punish sin. The reason John informs us that God is love is in direct connection to those who say they know God. Those who say they know God will demonstrate God's love to others. And John makes it clear that the opposite is true as well. Those who do not know God will not love like him. Only those who have been regenerated and given God's spirit will love like him. We know the Bible says this. In Romans 5, 5, we read that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Where is love from? It's from God. Why? Because God is love. Love is the mark of the believer. Anyone who truly knows God, the love of God is reflected in the way that they love others. So you say, well, that was, that was a whole lot. And I just woke up. And there was a lot there. So let's stop and let's ask ourselves a question. Ask yourself, is the mark of God's love evidenced in my life? Stop and ask yourself the question. Don't shout out the answer. But ask the question. Do I love others with the love that is from God? A love that is sacrificial? A love that denies self for the benefit of others? A love that is not based on the merit of the other person? A love that continues even when wronged? Some of you say, that's impossible. Exactly. It is only possible through God. In our flesh, this is impossible to do. But this is what identifies God's people, that his spirit dwells in them. And so if love is evident in your life, you have assurance that you are a child of God because only God's love can produce this type of love through you. Are we ready to move on to point two? Those of you that aren't smiling right now, this should put a big smile on your face as we look at the love displayed in Christ. God's love is displayed in Christ, verses 9 and 10. Look at your Bibles once again in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. John writes, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, 
Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Amen, absolutely. And, and so while we have the imperative to, to love one another, we must base it off the indicative that we see here of what God has done in Christ Jesus. God sent his only son into the world to save sinners so that we might live through him. We were all once dead in our trespasses and sins. We were without hope and without God in the world. We were by nature children of wrath, storing up God's wrath for our rebellion against him. And you say, well, we, we speak of that often. Why do we always speak about our depravity? Because it is with that dark backdrop that dark backdrop that God gave his only son. I want you to think about this. Think about a jeweler who's going to bring out a diamond and wants to sell you a diamond. What do they do? They bring out dark black felt and place it behind the diamond. The Bible, in like way, shows us and reminds us of the darkness of ourselves so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be showcased in all its beauty and in all its glory until we know just how bad we are we don't know how great God is and so it's with that backdrop that we see what Christ has done we see what God has displayed and how he's displayed his love by he has given the best there was to give Nothing could be greater than this. He gave his one and only son. So I ask you, why would God do such a thing? Is it because we loved him and treated him with reverence? Absolutely not. We did not first love him. We despised him. We sinned against him. But God is the great initiator. His love was on full display when he sent Christ to die for sinners just like us. His love on display. Romans 5, 8, you know it. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his son to be forsaken by him so that we might be forgiven through him. God's one and only son offered a one and only sacrifice for our sins. Oh, how we are to look to the cross to see the beauty and glory of God's love on display in his son. John says that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This word propitiation is a rich theological term. It's one of the most important terms, in my opinion, in the Bible. It's used four times in the New Testament in the context of Jesus' death on the cross and his work of atonement. If you're a note taker, we see it in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, that Jesus was put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We also see it in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, that Jesus would make propitiation for the sins of the people. We've studied this previously in our study of 1 John, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, that he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
And now here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, we read this. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This word, it means to turn away the wrath of God by means of an acceptable offering. It is through Jesus' propitiatory death that he has removed the guilt of our sins. He's appeased God's wrath and he has given us eternal life. John writes, we now live through him. Propitiation teaches us, though we might think lightly of sin, God hates sin. Propitiation teaches us that Christ's death satisfied the Father and was a substitution for sinners. But in our text this morning, John's emphasis on propitiation mostly teaches us about the greatness of God's love. That's what he points to. It is out of his love that he would send his son to die, to turn away his own wrath. So there are times, beloved, when you may not feel, you might not feel like being loving. The encouragement here is look to the cross. Look to the cross. Don't raise your hand, but how many times have you felt not like being loving? How many times have you said, I'm putting my foot down? I'm not doing it this time. Look to the cross. It is at the cross we see that God is love and God has loved. It is at the cross that we see God's love on display in Christ. It's at the cross that we see that we were dead, but we receive life through Jesus. So let's stop and pause for a moment and reflect on the cross. Were we deserving of God's love? Deserving of him sending his only son to die for us? Of course not. Beloved, the, the love of God is on display through the cross. It is the only foundation for genuine Christians to be able to love one another. And when we look at the cross and we pause and we stare at the cross, we see some things. One is we see that love is costly. Love is not cheap. There is a cost. We see at the cross that love is extended to those who are unworthy. Well, when we stare at the cross, we see that the unlovable receive love. When we stare at the cross, we see that those who deserve wrath receive mercy. Lastly, we see at the cross, when we stare at the cross, that love is always demonstrated by actions. Love is always demonstrated by actions. What does that mean? It means love doesn't exist in words alone. Love is accompanied by actions. It's shown by what is done, not just what is heard. It would have done us no good if God said, I will send my son, but then never send him. There had to be action. 
God's love is evidenced by action. Jesus was sent to die so that we might live. Love is an action, and we see it displayed in Jesus Christ. And so let's turn now to where John is pointing all of this. He's saying, look, the command is to love one another. But he says, look first and know where love comes from. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God. Because God is love. And then he says, look to the cross. See the demonstration of God's love. Beloved, I will tell you the cross we must look at over and over and over again. Because as I look around, I'm not, I know I'm not the only one here this morning that has feelings. Feelings that run contrary to the will of God. So how do I fight that? By looking to the cross. So that's where this leads us now. Point number three. God's love is displayed in believers. God's love is displayed in believers. If you look at your Bibles, verses 11 and 12, John writes, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Better translated here, we could say, in the same manner that God has loved us, we also ought to love one another. Well, how do we know how God has loved us? Go back to point number two. Stare at the cross. See God's love on display through Jesus. Do you know our sinful flesh often immediately looks at the way that others have failed to love us so that we can justify not loving them? Some of you are looking at me like, wow, you really feel that way? <laughs> you know you do too. It happens to all of us. That we think somehow they need to merit the love. However, that's not how we stare at God and, and cry out for mercy. We know we don't merit his love. We need mercy. We need love to be displayed. And this is why we must look to the cross often. We must be reminded of the sacrificial love with which God loves us. John Stott said this, he said, quote, no one who has been to the cross and seen God's immeasurable and unmerited love displayed there can go back to a life of selfishness. No one can go back to a life of selfishness when staring at the cross. You say, well, I've stared at the cross and I went back to selfishness. You know why? Because your eyes left the cross. The cross has to be always before us. Temptation to sin is always crouching at the door. Its desire is for us. But to keep our eyes on the cross, to be reminded of the love of God in Christ Jesus. John says, you are to love one another. Now, I'm going to guess that many of you are like me, and you don't just roll out of bed in the morning and naturally demonstrate God's love to those who have offended you and hurt you. 
Somehow you don't have like just little wings that pop out and you just start fluttering around. You have flesh. Those of you who are in Christ Jesus this morning, you also have God's spirit. And so what does it mean when we're commanded to love one another? It means that we must understand that love is an action. It means that we know that God has given his love to us. And why do I mention that again? Because oftentimes I hear people pray and they ask God, God, give me more love for this person or that person. God, I just need more love for them and then I'll be able to love them. But God's word clearly says in Romans 5, 5, that he has already poured his love into our hearts. So the problem is not that I need more love. There's something else going on. It's that we're not looking to the cross. We're not looking to, to humble ourselves and to love others the way that we've been shown love. And so we use an excuse that I just don't have enough love. God is love. And if God has regenerated you, he's put his spirit within you. You have his love. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so if we refuse to love others who have sinned against us, we disobey God. Period. There are no other excuses. In our disobedience, we, we grieve God. And so what are our explanations? I know this morning you're like, well, Robert, you don't know what this person did or that person did or this person did, and I'm sure you're going to send me an email or a letter later and tell me about it. And I'll say we have a very good letter. And this letter says that all who God has redeemed, all who he has saved and given his spirit, that he's poured his love into us, that his love is now on display through us, that the world would see that. We need to look to the cross. And so the explanation that others would not love and they would refuse and put their foot down and say, I'm not going to love, is somehow, somehow they have been deceived to think that someone else's sin is greater than their sins against God. Somehow that's happened. They've elevated themselves higher than God. They have valued themselves more than God. This is called idolatry. Their answer, the remedy, look to the cross. Look to the cross. There we understand the depths of sin. There we are humbled by the love that was displayed in Christ. Have you stopped? Have you paused to consider the depths of God's love towards you? Or do you think, well, it wasn't that bad? My sin is not that great. It's not what the sin is, it's who the sin is against. Sin is against a holy God. This God who would send his son to die to take the wrath that you deserve, that I deserve. 
This is God's sacrificial demonstration of love. And looking to that fuels our acts of love. Look, just like you were not perfected, I was not perfected. When God demonstrated his love towards us, our brothers and sisters in the church, they're not perfect either. They're going to hurt you. They're going to let you down. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to make you angry at times. And yet their sin against you is not even remotely as close as our sins against God. And so with the same love that we have received from God, we are now commanded to love one another. You are to love them in Christ, just as Christ has loved you. Are you frustrated right now? Can you think of somebody in the church that you're upset with? Look to the cross. Be reminded of God's love on display for you. Look around. I see some of you here are married this morning. Oh, no, don't go there. Come on. Any other relationship with that one? If you're married here this morning, you are to love your spouse as God has commanded you. To love your spouse with his love. Not because they are deserving of it. Not because they have shown you perfect love, but because you have been commanded because God has shown you perfect love. Do you have siblings? Uh-oh. You're to love them with God's love. Yes, they will anger you. Yes, they will frustrate you. But just as you have received God's love, you are now commanded to love them. Parents, you're not off the hook. Parents, you're to demonstrate God's love to your children. Yes, even when your children are being little rotten sinners. Because God has demonstrated his love to you, even when you were being a little rotten sinner. Children, you're to demonstrate love to your parents. Yes, even when... They're telling you to do things you don't want to do like your chores. And they're requiring things of you that you'd rather do something else. You are to love them because Christ has loved you. And so all that brings us to the last verse in our text this morning. John explains the importance of God's love being displayed in us. The, the, the why. Why is this such a big deal? Why is it a big deal? Well, one, we've already heard, because it's our love one for another that identifies us as Christians. But now look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. What does this mean? It means nobody has ever seen God in his unveiled essence, in glory and in majesty. As sinful creatures, seeing God would result in our immediate death. So what is John arguing here in verse 12? He is saying that if we love one another with God's love, that God's love is on display in us. That others can see God's love. God is seen through our love one for another. Recall when Jesus was asked, 
What is the greatest commandment? Remember what he said? I'll quote it from Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. But he didn't stop. He continued and said, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, they didn't ask what the second was. That's what the greatest is. He, he put them together. He said they cannot be separated. They can't be divorced from one another. That our love to God or for God is demonstrated by our love for one another. You know, I hear people say, oh, I love God, but I can't stand his people. I can't stand the church. That is an indictment of whether you truly love God. It means you don't. Because a love for God is evidenced by our love for his people. It's a reflection. Our love is a reflection of his love. It's a response to his love. And so I'll ask you this morning, what does God's love look like in your home? I'm not going to give you that answer. I don't have that answer. But it's a good time to reflect. What, what does God's love look like in your home? Is God's love on display through you? Because you're commanded to love one another. How about your work or your school or your neighborhood? Is God's love on display through you? How about in our church? Right here, as we gather together as the beloved... Is God's love on display through you? Beloved, we are children of God. We've had God's love poured into our hearts. And now we are commanded to love one another with God's love. A sacrificial, unmerited love. And perhaps you know this. You're like, you're not teaching me anything new. That's why there's repetition in the Bible. So we hear it over and over again, three times in just a short passage this morning, that we are to love one another. Repetition. And perhaps you're like, I, I know this, but I'm unwilling to follow through. I'm not going to do it. I need to warn you. And you need to understand that your refusal to love is an act of disobedience and idolatry it is sin. But when we do not love as God has commanded us to love, we are giving him the hand and saying, no, I'm doing it my own way. And if this is you, and you know it this morning, and you could see the person in your mind's eye of who you have not extended God's love to, and there's one word, repent, repent, confess your sins to God and by his grace and for his glory, go and demonstrate his love as soon as you have the opportunity. I'm going to stop and give you time to sit on that for a second because many of us probably do have that person that we're holding out. We would say anybody but them. And yet we have received the mercy of God, the grace of God, 
through the love of God. We all need to continue to humble ourselves before God by looking to the cross and seeing the love of God displayed in Christ. Remember, John warns and argues that anyone who does not love does not know God. It would be just like if there was a fire that does not give off heat, it would be an imitation fire. If there was a sun in the sky that doesn't give off light, it would be a counterfeit sun. And if there's a professing Christian who does not at all display God's love, they're a false convert. God's love is not evident in your life, then you do not have assurance that you have salvation in Christ. You do not have the confidence that your sins have been paid for and the wrath of God been satisfied. Your failure to love can only mean that you have no true knowledge of God, that you have not been born again that you have not received his nature. It means God's love has not been poured out in your heart. And if that's the case, then you are not a child of God. And by the grace of God and for the glory of God, I urge you not to stay in this condition. Repent and turn to Christ. Trust alone in Christ's finished work on the cross for your salvation. And may the love of God become evident in your life as you humbly look to the cross. Let's pray. Father, our ears were not tickled this morning. Your word was very clear. And God, we thank you for your amazing love that is displayed in Christ that Jesus would die for us. Thank you for pouring your love into our hearts so that your love flowing through us may be on display. Father, I ask that you would humble us and help us to love those we think are undeserving. Help us to see that we are way more undeserving and yet you love us. As we look to the cross and see, your, and see our own massive debt of sin that was forgiven, May it fuel us to love others with your love. We praise you that you first loved us. May we now demonstrate our love for you by loving others. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.